it's been a crazy week in the Claus household. Uh, not this past Friday, but the Friday before at 5.20 p.m., and you can show this picture, little Alden Charles was born at Community North in Castleton. He came uh, weighing in six pounds, 13 ounces, and he's a little bundle of joy. You can go to the next slide, and there he is snuggled up. He's such a little, oh, just squish squash. I love him. You can go to another picture. This was Annie's uh, excitement. Annie is like violently in love with him. She doesn't realize that he is so fragile, and so she just wants to grab him and just kind of shake him all about. And, you know, we can't do that with a baby. And so that, that's just so exciting. I want to show you these. Uh, I think I have one more picture don't I? And there he is. Uh, for those of you who were praying for him, he is not Italian. He is jaundiced right here. Uh, and so, yeah, so we had to actually readmit him into the NICU and thank you for your prayers. He was discharged on Friday afternoon. And uh, a lot of people are like, okay, what does he look like? He looks almost exactly like Annie. Annie's on the left, Alden's on the right. And I got one more picture to show you. And don't they look so similar? And they both look beautiful because they look like their mother. They didn't get any of these genes. That's good. Maybe the nose, but that's it. But I, I want to say thank you for all the support, the encouragement, the love, the prayers, the food. It's been great, everybody. And so I appreciate that. Mama's doing well. Uh, she had a little... Uh, incident with her epidural, but that's been since taken care of, and they are resting at home, and you might see them Mother's Day, but I don't know if you'll see much of them prior to that, but it's been a crazy week at the Claus household, um, and then Friday night, we had a little concert here at AFC, and thank you to all the volunteers who came out to assist with the Colton Dixon concert. It ended up being very successful, and it was a lot of fun, and so uh, if uh, you were a part of that, you already know. Uh, for the classic service, I know that was probably wasn't your cup of tea, but I'm going to let you know, just as a little sidebar announcement, that this week, the Collingsworth family Christmas tour tickets are going on sale, so be on the lookout for your email, because that will probably be a sell-out show. But anyway, where are we going here? Pastor was in a series called Awkward. Everyone say Awkward. And if I look awkward this morning, it's because I am completely unprepared. You are actually traveling back in time with me because this is actually one of the first messages I ever put together. Uh, I was uh, fresh out of high school and uh, just about to start my uh, freshman year at Ohio Christian University. And aren't you thankful for the grace of God? And it's something that I don't, I, I mean, we sing about it, we talk about it, but I don't, I don't know if we actually study it all that much and all the depth and richness of the theology of grace. And so we're going to be hopping around a couple scriptures this morning, but I want you to go to the book of Ephesians, and you probably can guess it, the second chapter in the book of Ephesians. And Paul starts this chapter by saying this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. So right out of the gate, he starts to paint a beautiful picture, right? And I always uh, imagine like roadkill on the side of the highway, right? Like they are completely and objectively dead. That deer ain't getting up. That deer has seen better days. That deer is completely helpless. 
And didn't you know that sin does that to our lives? Because of the broken relationship, because of the fall of Adam and Eve, sin has become a sickness to us that has actually produced death eternally, spiritually, okay? And we're dead in our trespasses and our sins. And so when I think about this and when I get to thinking about how the Lord would communicate on his earthly ministry, he used a lot of stories. Jesus' main method of communication and teaching was storytelling. And storytelling does a couple things for us. First, it allows us to kind of see things in a practical light. You know, there's theory and there's practice, and through story, there is provided context for things that people go through. And then that contextualization can also help us uh, place ourselves in a position where maybe we hadn't seen a perspective from before, but now we can because it's just so plainly told. And so storytelling is a great way to communicate God's grace. And if uh, I want to communicate God's grace and if I want to tell a story, I'm going to merge the two and I'm going to tell you a story about my life today. Because my life began in death. My story began with my trespasses and my sins and my family's trespasses and their sins. And so the teens have probably heard this a little bit, so just pull out the notes that I know you guys took. But for the rest of you, buckle up, okay? This is my story. So, in October of 1993, I was born into abject poverty in the slums of Las Vegas. Great way to start the story, right? Let me paint this picture for you. My parents, teenagers, no older than this section right here, drug addicts, alcoholics, dropouts, had burnt every bridge with every family member and every friend, and for a moment of passion, they traded a new life, and here Joey arrives on the scene, October of 1993. And it was pitiful conditions. There was no provision, there was no... Uh, plan. We lived in a one-bedroom apartment with two other families. When there was food, it wasn't good food. It was convenience store chips and ramen noodles. I didn't even have a bed to sleep on. I slept on a pile of dirty clothes. This is how my story began. There was domestic abuse. There was violence. There were all sorts of things associated. And I bet you can imagine what I saw as a young kid. My parents weren't really engaged um, with me. Uh, I was more of a pet, I, I probably would describe it, and uh, never knew if they were coming or if they were going, okay? And on top of that, uh, I had fallen behind developmentally. I, I actually didn't speak a coherent language until seven years of age. My father was a Hispanic man, and my mom, uh, Claus, is German. Uh, and so, I, you know, I'm half Spanish. He spoke Spanish, and she spoke English. Merge with you, you get Spanglish. So it's, uh, it's, not, it's not a rosy picture to start this story off, but it's where I started. 
And so we went through life for several years this way. About four years into my life, up came a little sister named Haley. And we lived that way. And, uh, you know, we'd be evicted from one apartment and go to another apartment. And then be evicted from that apartment and move on to the next apartment. And that was just life for us. We didn't have a lot. We had the clothes on our backs and maybe a couple things and a couple bags. But it was, it was not a great, great upbringing. I actually say this now that... I know the other side of the story. If I ever get the chance to write an autobiography, the title of it's going to be Preacher from Sin City, right? That's pretty catchy, right? And uh, so anyway, uh, so about when I was six, you know, there was a lot of contention between my mom and dad. They didn't love each other. They, They didn't really know each other outside of a physical relationship. But one day my dad up and took me and my little sister uh, away from my mother without my mother knowing. We commonly call that kidnapping, which is frowned upon. And uh, he takes us from Las Vegas down to Phoenix, Arizona. And this is where I want to begin this story of grace. Because, you see, we were dead in our trespasses, in our sins. But God's grace was going before us. Amen? And so the first kind of grace I want to talk about this morning is God's seeking grace. Everybody say, seeking grace. Don't you know that God's grace is seeking you even in your death, even in your trespasses and your sins? And so we're in Phoenix. My mother has no idea where we are. She calls the one person she thinks who can help, a person that she hasn't talked to in years, who, whose relationship is contentious to say the least, but there's a lot of hate involved. She called her dad. His name is Charles. He works in Washington, D.C. He's dating an attorney named Barbara at this time. She called him, weeping over the phone, asking for him to come out and help. So Chuck and Barbara fly out to Las Vegas through their connections and their resources. They're able to locate little Joey and little Haley in Phoenix after six weeks of not knowing where they had gone. And so uh, this all happened really quickly. You know, Vegas to Phoenix, six weeks, back up to Vegas. But God's seeking grace was there. And my grandfather and soon-to-be grandmother, for the first time, got to see the kind of conditions that my sister and I were living in. It was probably a CPS case. In fact, it should have been. We had just fallen through the cracks of the system. And because they were on the ground, they got to see what was going on. And something within them stirred that said, we got to take these kids out of that situation. And so through that whole traumatic experience, my grandparents, one week later, bought not two, but four tickets home to Washington, D.C. And they took my sister and me, and that's the last time I ever saw my mother or my father. And so uh, Las Vegas to Washington, D.C., There's a lot of differences, but there's a lot of similarities, too. A lot of sin going on in both cities, right? Uh, I'll hold my political commentary, but you get the picture there. And my grandfather was career Air Force, retired. He was working for Sally Mae. And they just realized that the big city was just too fast a life for these kids to live in. And so they were looking about where to go, anywhere. They they were well uh, put together, established, and educated. And my grandfather... It had a very wonderful upbringing in a little town called Speedway, Indiana. And he had uh, very fond memories. He grew up right across the street from the Speedway. And uh, he used to sneak into the pit 
and uh, talk with the drivers and stuff. And so he'd always wanted to go and sing back home again in Indiana, right? And so they decided we're going to land in central Indiana. And so they're scoping it out. And they find a house that they absolutely fall in love with, a little town called Fortville. Everybody know where Fortville's at? I'm sorry. It's under construction right now. Anyway, it's a mess. I drive through it every day. So we relocate from Vegas to D.C. to Fortville. Big cultural differences there. I won't go into them at this time, but you understand. But really, this was a healing time, especially for me. Remember, I was developmentally disabled at this part, at least behind on things. And uh, we drilled in the English language into me. I, I didn't, no longer spoke Spanglish. And my grandmother... Tough cookie as she is in teens, I've told you a lot of stories. Um, she helped me overcome my educational deficits. And that's when I fell in love with learning. I wanted to be a part of everything. I wanted to be a part of the Boy Scouts, Derek. I joined the Boys and Girls Club. I, I did any kind of activity that I wanted. And all through that, God's seeking grace is going before me. He's calling me out of this death that I'm in. And so there was one particular instrument that I really wanted to learn. It was the piano. And I didn't stick with it, okay? But at the time, I wanted to learn the piano. There were two teachers in Fortville that taught piano. One was Mrs. McEvers, and she lived right across the way from me, and she was cheaper. But for whatever reason, I say it's the seeking grace of God, it led me down to the other teacher. And the other teacher just so happened to be married to the minister of music at Fortville Church of the Nazarene, okay? Her name was Abby. Every Tuesday, right after school, the bus would drop me off. I'd go into the choir room, and I'd play hot cross buns like it's Beethoven's symphony to her. And that's when I was first exposed to the concept uh, uh, of God and Jesus and the faith. And I was freaked out because there's a man hung on a tree just hanging there in the room. And I'm like, what is this imagery and the stained glass and these hymnals and everything? I began to become very curious about what this place was. It's the seeking grace of God in my life. And so my grandparents, even though they alleviated me out of physical poverty, spiritually, we were still impoverished. They weren't believers. My grandpa wasn't married once, twice, three, four, but five times. And uh, so he, you could just tell his life was a mess. My grandmother's life was a mess, too. They had made their way through professionally, but spiritually, they were just in the pits. But I was curious about my, my newfound spiritual interest in the church. They would not uh, take me to the church. They wouldn't provide a ride. First question they ask is, I've never heard of the Church of the Nazarene. Do they handle snakes? And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> they don't handle snakes, Grandma. It's okay. And so... Every Wednesday and every Sunday, a bus would come pick me up. It was actually a 15-passenger van. Mark, don't quit what you're doing. Every Wednesday, every Sunday, I would be picked up by this church van and brought to church. And i got to be honest with you, I may have sounded a little bit more spiritual than I actually was. I was curious, but an awesome children's ministry pastor, much like Pastor Courtney, really enticed me with the goldfish and the graham crackers and the games and the music and all the fun that was associated with church. And this was an opportunity for me to uh, meet friends from school that otherwise I didn't have an opportunity to connect with. And among one of those was uh, Brian Sh 
Shepherd, whose sister was this beautiful girl, Stacy Shepherd. That's a different part of the story, but that's where we first connected. And so I'd go every Wednesday and every Sunday to church just to get my fill in. And after a little while, God's seeking grace shined through again. And one of the pastors came up to me one Wednesday evening, and he said, Joey, do you like what we're doing here? And I said, absolutely, as I'm shoving a hot dog in my mouth. He said, well, we do this little thing in the summer for uh, uh, teens and children. It's called camp. And it's basically Wednesday evening, but for a whole week. And I said, sign me up, pastor. I'm going to be there. So I go home. I have this permission slip. I have the information with my grandparents. And uh, I presented to them as best I could. Uh, this is a great way for me to stay off the streets and everything because Fortville is such a dangerous place. Uh, and they said no. And they didn't care about logistics. They just didn't want to pay for it. So defeated, I went back to the pastor at Fortville and said, I'd love to, but they just, they're, they're not willing to pay for it. He said, do you really want to go? I said, yes. He said, then don't worry about the cost. The church will cover it. And so I packed up my bags, and I went to Canby, Indiana. Any of you know Camp Canby? Some of you Indy District people? Camp, yeah, Camp Canby. And so it was everything they said it would be. It was the fun, it was the music, it was the games, it was the food. But there was something there that I was not expecting to experience. And when the seeking grace of God penetrates your heart enough over time, that seeking grace turns into saving grace. And I'm telling you, that Wednesday night, the final night of camp in 2006, little Joey went to the altar, and I gave my heart to Jesus in an instant that night. You can give a round of applause for that. Yeah. And in an instant, my whole life trajectory changed. God's saving grace had lifted me up out of that death into new life with him. And I was fired up, man. Okay? So I went home and I was a Jesus freak. I had a Bible in every translation. I had all the teen devotionals. And I was that annoying kid who would never leave the church. The pastor was probably regretting paying my way to camp because there he was. He was trying to pay me on taxes at some points just because I was there so much. And I joined everything. I joined the choir. I joined the tech team. I joined the youth group. I joined the sports ministry. I joined it all. And I was just so excited about this new relationship that I had in Jesus. And I wanted everybody to know. But there was something still holding me back. There was something still weighing me down. It was this hate. It was this guilt. It was this anger. To most of you, the last name Claus means a fat man bringing presents to you on Christmas. But the Clauses, in my eyes, were a bunch of bandits, a bunch of criminals a bunch of drug addicts. And as a teenage boy would, I had a lot of unresolved anger towards my family and towards my past. Jesus had saved me and cleansed me of my sin, 
but I still have this baggage over here. And this journey, if we stopped right here, would be an incredible enough one, but the grace keeps flowing even after salvation, amen? And so, uh, I'm getting fired up. Uh, by this time, I'm a, a junior in high school. I had just received my call to ministry at Olivet Nazarene University during a, a little celebration called Celebrate Life, and I was fired up. And so I had a procedure done, wisdom teeth, that's no fun. Uh, my grandma, as I said, is a little bit of an eclectic woman, marches to the beat of her own drum. She would give me no pain medication after the numbness wore off of uh, the wisdom teeth, okay? Not even children's Tylenol or anything. So I was left with the, uh, the grueling pain of just that surgery and all that comes with it. And so I was a newly licensed driver. My grandpa had a brand new truck. I said, ice cream will solve everything. And so um, I begged and pleaded with him to let me borrow this truck. And after some negotiating, he said yes. And of course, I went around town and uh, grabbed all my friends, Stacy's brother included, and uh, I I'm just telling you what, the Lord has such a way of getting our attention, doesn't he? And he wasn't done with the saving grace, but he wanted to deal with that baggage from my past and those things weighing me down, okay? And so this is a crazy story, and I'm telling you it's 100% true. I'm driving in this brand new 2011 Chevrolet Silverado with my friends to the ice cream storm as a storm is brewing. A real storm, not just in my heart, like dark clouds. And I'm driving down Fortville Pike, and as I'm driving down Fortville Pike at about 50 miles per hour, lightning strikes a giant oak tree that's overlapping with the road, and that main trunk snaps and implodes my truck. I went like, like that real quick. There was glass, there was blood, there were sirens, there were police officers, there were firefighters. Remember, I just had my wisdom teeth taken out, so that didn't feel good. A tree on the head during wisdom teeth, never a good idea. Zero out of ten, do not recommend, okay? And so uh, the EMT crew, uh, they're not as put together as they uh, are now in Fortville. We, we kind of done some things, and so they're just a bunch of volunteers. They looked at me, bloodied head and everything. You're good to go. You can go. <laughs> Take me to the hospital. And here I am looking at this truck. I know I'm about to die because this is my grandpa's brand new truck. The, the, the cab is completely imploded, but you can kind of like slip in. You know what I'm talking about? And you got the wheel that's kind of bent over. And they said, yeah, go ahead and drive that home. I was like, What? But they made me drive it home. And there's one stoplight in the town of Fortville, okay? And I get the red light. I can't even shut the door on this truck. I'm kind of bent like this, waiting at the stoplight. And to add pain to it all, it was raining. And so this was just a miserable scene. And I knew what was coming. I pulled that truck up into that driveway. And my grandfather, standing at the end, doing his little master sergeant from the Air Force routine, staring me down. He has a big old Tom Selleck mustache. He doesn't have glasses on, but he's given that little eye. And everything within me just left. I felt dead. And one thing that you need to know about my grandfather and I is 
His sin, his decisions caused my mother to make her decisions. And the absence of this led to the absence of this in my life. You tracking? So deep within myself, I was mad at this, but I was hateful towards this. And even though Jesus had given me, given me that saving grace, there were still things that I was holding on to from right here. And it was a contentious upbringing because with the Christian life and growth, you understand there are things that you shun in the walk of obedience. And I thought my grandpa should be shunning most of what he was doing. And the first punishment always was to take church away. We just butted heads all growing up. And so that afternoon, raining, we had a standoff. He said some of the most hateful things he had ever said to me. Now, mind you, this really wasn't my fault. It was just a freak accident. He said things about my mother. He said things about me. He said things about my sister that I didn't think any loving grandfather should say. So this wasn't my shining moment, but this was my chance to show my teeth. I was coming of age. I was feeling more independent, and I shot back right at him. And I said some of the most hateful things to him that day, things that I thought would cut him down. And it was a reckoning between Chuck and Joey, so much so that I said, I'm not staying here, goodbye. So what does any kind of disgruntled Christian teen do when he's not having the best time at home? He calls his Sunday school teacher. Thank God for Sunday school, amen? <laughs> Called my Sunday school teacher. She happened to be the youth president too. and I never did get that ice cream, so the first thing she did was get me ice cream, went back to her house. This wasn't ministry safe, I apologize, but I stayed the night at her house. And that whole night, conviction just hit me. I was in physical pain because of the surgery and because of the tree, but I was in more spiritual pain than anything. And I was wrestling with my emotions. I was wrestling with God. I was asking questions like, why did you give me this lot in life? Why did you make me walk this journey? I'm trying my best to be obedient. But this stuff is holding me back. And I hate him. I hate him. It was Saturday night, and I was indoctrinated uh, into church well enough that I knew I had to just uh, iron my shirt and go on with a smile and act like everything was all right, even if it wasn't. So that's what I did. I went to Sunday school Sunday morning. You know, I was shaking hands and being friendly and all that sort of stuff. People didn't really know what had gone on except the Sunday school teacher. And then in the service, we sang this song, and uh, the, the bridge came about, and we started singing, if our God is for us, who can stand against? If our God is for us, church, who can stand 
against. And I'm telling you what, you hear stories about the Holy Spirit coming on somebody. The Holy Spirit came after me in a way that only one other time had I felt this weight. And it was when I accepted his saving grace. But the Lord was trying to do something more, teach me something deeper about his grace. And that's when that saving grace transformed into sanctifying grace. Sanctifying grace, church. And in that moment, my heart broke, split completely in two. And I was so filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm not an emotional guy, usually. Things have changed since I've had a daughter. But, in, you know, as a teenager, I, you know, I'm tough. I'm not going to cry. I went down like a blubbering idiot to the altar. It's so much so like the saints of the church wanted to come and pray, but they didn't want to get too close because I'm just going, <laughs> like, is he demon-possessed or what's going on here? And I just, I laid it all out before the Lord in that moment. And in that moment, the root of that hate disappeared. Amen. Disappeared. And I want to let you know that there's something called reconciliation and restitution. And you will not find that peace that surpasses all understanding until you do so. And so the first thing I knew the Lord was telling me to do after service, after I had given up all that hate and anger and bitterness towards my family past, was to go to the source of what I thought was the problem, meaning my grandfather, and reconcile with him. And wouldn't you know it, he's not a believer, but this is biblical. He's standing out on the porch where I had left him the night before. But this time, he's not standing like an army sergeant. This time, he has his arms out, tears running down. And we reconciled in one of the most beautiful ways to this day that I've ever experienced. And the Lord is good. The Lord is good. So this is our journey of grace, and I just want to... Tack on one of my life verses to this. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.28 or 5.23. Now may the God of peace, everybody say peace. Now may the God of peace, which don't we crave peace? We seldom find it in ourselves, but don't we crave it all the time? But specifically, this is the God of peace we're talking about. Now may the God of peace himself, what? Sanctify. Sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then catch this, verse 24. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Everybody say that. He will surely do it. Say it with me again. He will surely do it. So we've experienced the seeking grace. We've experienced the saving grace. We've experienced this sanctifying grace. Is that the end of this journey we call grace? Absolutely not. So I graduate. A week later, I go on to my college town. I've gotten a job that helps pay for school. And I go through my college career. But that journey of grace doesn't end. And the moment that you think that you've arrived, you need to check your heart. Because there's always a next step we can take. And this is the fourth aspect of grace that I want you to understand this morning. Yes, he seeks us. 
Yes, he can save you. Yes, he can even sanctify you. But his grace also sustains you. Through every circumstance, through every trial, through anything that you're going through or your family's going through, he will sustain you. And the Lord has sustained me all these years. If we follow in a path of obedience, if we do what the Lord commands us in his written word and as an outpouring through uh, your prayer life and through other means that you can uh, connect with him, he's going to sustain you. It's not always going to be easy, amen? It's not always going to be a joy-filled ride. We've had our moments where we're scared. We don't know what next step to take. We don't even know that there is a next step to take. And uh, the Lord has just been good to me. The Lord has been good. And through my diagnosis of diabetes, I make a lot of jokes about it, but it was a scary time. Uh, I found out I had diabetes in the ICU junior year of college, where I spent two and a half weeks thinking I may die. There was uh, an infection on my lower back that I didn't think was all that bad, but it was creeping towards my spinal cord. And had it penetrated, it would have been surely death. The Lord sustained me through that and through that diagnosis. The Lord has sustained me through untimely firings, even in ministry, even in this walk of obedience. There are things in your life that can catch you by surprise. And I've had some untimely dismissals, even from uh, church ministry. But the Lord is good and he sustains us. And so I don't, the good news is my story isn't over, right? I'm only 29 I feel like I've got a lot ahead of me, and I just want you all to understand that this grace that I'm talking about, no matter where you're at in the journey, it could come after you. It could come after you. And so let me tell you this, just as a little bit of closing. Christmas Eve at the Claus house, magical, right? Actually, it's a pretty busy night for us. Clauses. Okay. I'm with my grandparents this uh, past Christmas Eve, and Stacy, isn't she great? She's beautiful, she's wonderful. She should probably be the pastor, and I should be the pastor's wife, because she's just so much better at so many things. But one thing that she has really helped with is helping to establish a better working relationship between my grandparents and me. And so we've been a lot friendlier. The grandchildren have helped with that. I guess great-grandchildren now. Um, And so we're there Christmas Eve this past year, and um, Stacy just starts asking questions, wanting to get to know them. And my grandfather had never opened up about his family, our family lineage, any of that kind of stuff. So all I knew was him, and my parents and us, that was like it. That was the Claus family. But Stacy had such a way of working this uh, that he pulled out like lineage books. He pulled out photo albums. Um, his father was featured on Life magazine as a Purple Heart recipient uh, for storming the beaches at Normandy in World War II. And I'm like, that would have been something cool to know a long time ago. Um, and all sorts of things came out. And I felt this dare I say, deeper love for my grandfather for the first time. No hate. Remember, the Lord took care of that. But he replaced it with this love. And as we're driving home on Christmas Eve, I just start bawling in the car to Stacy. She's like, put yourself together, man. You're driving. It's dark. And I'm just weeping because I had felt, for the first time, a, a more fatherly connection to my grandfather. And just to bring this story full circle as the worship team comes up, 
I want you to know that Alden is my thank you note to my grandfather. Alden, you guys think that's a little bit of a unique name. Pastor pronounced it Aldine. It's not a country star, Alden. Um, Alden comes from Stacy. Stacy was very close to her mother's mother and uh, passed away when Stacy was only 17. We don't want to curse our kids with the name Priscilla. Um, and so we were trying to figure out how to pay like respects to her. She lived on a road in Fortville called Alden Drive. So that's where we get Alden from. And so Stacy got to choose the first name. I got to choose the second name. And after praying and after that Christmas Eve experience, I said, you know what? I've never been able to express my gratitude adequately to my grandfather for picking me up out of that pit in Las Vegas. And I noticed something in the lineage when I was looking through. Every son's middle name was named after their father. My grandpa didn't have any boys, so that trend ended with him. And so I decided that Alden's middle name will be Charles, to respect and to give honor to my grandpa and to say thank you for what he did. Now, we're still praying for his salvation, but remember that seeking grace is still out there. And so, I, you know, I know I rambled. I know this wasn't the, the polished message that um, you guys are used to. But I really, truly believe that we all have our next step to take. And so I chose, Heather's been great this morning. Um, I chose a song of reflection that I think encapsulates my story pretty well in this journey of grace. And it's this idea that God's goodness is enough. All my life you've been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. And you know what? I have known him as a father, and I've experienced him as a friend. And so I'm going to open up these altars. If there's not one person down here, that's okay by me. But I want you to reflect, where are you on this journey of grace? Have you been pushing back in your trespasses and your sins against his seeking grace? He's hungry for you. He wants you. He wants to know you. Scripture says he knows the amount of hairs on your head. That's how much he loves you. And guess what? That seeking grace can turn into saving grace. He gave his one and only son to pay that sin debt. If you've experienced that saving grace, praise God, there's another step. What area of your life do you need to be sanctified from? Only the Lord can do it. You cannot do it in your own strength. Or maybe today you just need to give thanks to God for his sustaining grace in your life. So I'm going to invite you to stand and sing this beautiful song, The Goodness of God. Go ahead and stand and Heather, come and lead, please.
God, may the words of that song be the song of our heart this morning. Your enduring faithfulness, your enduring love, your enduring grace that seeks, saves, sanctifies, and sustains us through life. God, in 1 Thessalonians, you say 
that you will surely do it. And I'm sure there's testimony after testimony of that ringing true in this congregation. Lord, help us to identify our next steps in this journey of grace. And Lord, let us be salt and light to those who need to hear these stories. May we share these stories and through your Holy Spirit, allow that to penetrate the hearts and allow transformation in life to come. We love you, Lord. We give you thanks for this day. Go with us as we go to Sunday school. In your name I pray. And everybody said, amen. amen.